ora. This is The Detail. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. Today, a story so shocking that we're going to tell it to you in two parts. It's about the tomato slaves of Italy and why it matters to consumers here. I thought, is this even Italy anymore? Like, where are we? Why are these migrants living in these appalling conditions? The thing that stood out to me the most is when they kept repeating these parallels to the slave trade like 400 years ago when they started saying you know what's really changed for Africans in the past like three to four hundred years if we're still treated like this if we're still dehumanized. So what does this have to do with the price of tin tomatoes in New Zealand? Well, like a lot of people, I often buy Italian cans of tomatoes at the supermarket or neighbourhood bulk food store because they're cheap and they're from a country that grows good food. And like a lot of people, I hardly give it a second thought about how they can be so cheap. Maybe a tomato glut in Italy. But what if we knew that the workers picking those tomatoes have to put up with this? It's like 12 hours a day working without food, access to the bathroom, the toilet. None of them had breaks in between the time. The work was so laborious that some even died from exhaustion. They were getting paid an extremely low amount of money. I think it was three and a half euros per crate. And these crates were extremely big. And if you didn't kind of meet that quota, you would leave with very little money. That's Ayo Awakoya. She and Tobias Jones did an investigation for The Guardian called Are Your Tin Tomatoes Picked by Slave Labour? They found that thousands of African migrants have been coerced into a form of modern-day slavery, and the Italian mafia is making millions by exploiting them. It's all tied up with the migrant crisis. So you don't think these guys know that this is a Libyan coast guard, but they're not going to be headed to Europe today? The global migration crisis has overwhelmed Italy. That's a clip from an HBO documentary, one of the many stories about the millions of migrants forced to make treacherous trips across the Mediterranean to Europe to find a better life. Many land in Italy and stay. They're trapped by huge debts, poverty, and a system that just won't allow them to go any further. These migrants piled into flimsy boats in Libya to try to make their crossing to Italy. Last year, about 180,000 succeeded. Since 2014, Italy has been welcoming, receiving half a million migrants and refugees. But that's starting to change. A mattress burns in the middle of the street. Residents of this neighbourhood of Treviso in the north of Italy are angry that migrants are moving into empty apartments nearby. Not everyone wants asylum seekers like Ahmed to stay in Italy. Far-right groups are seizing public concern over the large numbers of migrants and refugees to bolster their anti-immigration platform. I called Ayo at home in London to find out more about her year-long investigation, how she went to the slums of southern Italy and went undercover with workers. This farm was in the middle of nowhere. There was no signal. And if I was caught, if they realised I was a journalist, I wasn't there for the purposes I said I was, it would have become very dangerous very quickly. And what happened when she was mistaken for a migrant? People not allowing me to enter certain restaurants. I was also considered a prostitute. It became very clear that if you looked like a migrant, you weren't perceived as a human being. 
her story, Ayo describes the shanty towns where shacks are made from sticks and sheet metal, where there is one tap but the water is not drinkable and toilets are just holes in the ground. It was uh, it's one of those things you have to see to really believe. I feel it's so hard to kind of get that experience across either through verbally or through written word, but it was just one of those situations that just didn't seem believable. It was these migrants in a kind of situation that you would think you were in a war-torn country, not in Italy. The segregation was completely stark. Like, you could walk from a village into one of the settlements of just a 15-minute walk, and it's a completely different environment. It's just... It was completely lawless. There was a lot of criminality. I mean, a lot of these migrants were doing what they could to survive. So it's it's just one of those things that you just never really will be able to understand who you see it for yourself. And even then, it's you come back to a very comfortable life in the Western world, and it's just very jarring. It's just, at times, it's almost very difficult to believe that it exists. Were, were people willing to talk to you? Yeah, they were. Um, I think what helped as well is that I'm also originally from Nigeria so a lot of these migrants were from West Africa so that was a very common thing we could kind of identify with Um, and they were very and obviously because I was able to fit into these areas as well because a lot of the Italians mistook me for a migrant at time so it was quite easy for me to infiltrate these areas and to speak to them on quite an even level. So can you describe to me, Ayo, who are these people and how do they end up working in the tomato plantations? Just to kind of note, like not only were a lot of these African migrants, there were also people from Afghanistan, some from Iraq. Um, there were some people that had managed to come from all over, but they, the majority were African migrants. So the ones I mainly were interacting with were from West Africa and they had travelled from say, for instance, Nigeria across the Sahara Desert um, into Libya, and then they crossed the Mediterranean, and then they finally arrived in Italy. So a lot of them, when I spoke to them about their decisions for why they decided to leave their homes, a lot of, they all had different reasons. So some were political activists who were being persecuted in their country origin. Some were just due to family, the kind of breakdown in family life, decided to run away. Others, a lot of them wanted to get a better living situation, better... Um, you know, any economic status that they just didn't have at home. Mm. So it's it was, and a lot of them were very young. Um, a lot of them were ranging from like 18 to about 30, 35. Um, some of them actually also brought children with them. Some of them ended up giving birth in Libya and carrying their children across the Mediterranean. There were just a number of different people that came to Italy for different reasons um, and had really fought to get the, you know, the money they needed to be trafficked over. And then once, obviously, they got to Italy and they fell in the system of slavery, it was extremely devastating to hear. Um, And I think one of the main reasons why they ended up in that system was because they were let down by the legal and government institutions that were supposed to protect them. So there was, you know, with the understanding of having um, political asylum, a lot of them were in the process of applying for that. But at at times they were either rejected or the process took too long. And in between that time, they didn't have the right to 
reside in that place or they didn't have the right to work. So they ended up taking whatever work was available to them and that just happened to be the conditions of slavery that we found them in. So can you describe that slavery? So one of the incidents that we saw was the work conditions were is like 12 hours a day, um, working without food, access to um, you know, the bathroom, the toilet. And then another instance was the kind of trafficking to and from these um, fields. So what happened was that they, a lot of these migrants were stuffed into very small vans um, and carried off into uh, like very early morning to work under the cover of darkness um, to evade kind of police pursuit or anything like that. And most of the time, because of those conditions, there were so many accidents that occurred. So there were all these different facets that constituted these conditions of slavery. I'm just trying to picture how they actually survive in a place like Italy, especially when it's cold. Yeah, no, that that was also another issue that we encountered because a lot of these settlements, would, it was just dry wood. Like, they had houses made out of wooden doors. You could still see the doorknob sticking out. You know, these were just basically whatever they could find. They could they just built it. Um, and unfortunately, because of the dry winters and they also had heaters, it was combustible. So there were fires quite often. The charred remains of two young African men identified as Mamadou Konate and Nuhu Dumbia have been found following a blaze at an unsanctioned migrant camp in southern Italy. The victims were from Mali. They were really young, I think around 33 and 36 years old. We don't have anywhere to go. Those who re-entered the camp to sleep are those who've lost their lives. It was also their environment, like you just previously mentioned it's there was a lot of factors that endangered them as well so these are slums outside the towns and cities of mostly southern italy is that right yeah that's right and they don't assimilate with the italian population no i it some do um and it depends where you go if you go to sicily as well um in palermo there seems to be a better level of integration but in the area that I was primarily in, which was Folgia, there was an, the segregation was incredibly stark. Um, the hostility a lot of the Italians expressed to the migrants there was very obvious. Um, and as I was also <laughs> reporting there and got mistaken for a migrant a lot of times, I also was on the receiving end of a lot of hostility. Like um, what? And a lot of racism. Um, it, it was just more people not allowing me to enter certain restaurants, just very overt racism. Um, very, some were really great. Some allowed treated me like an equal, but it became very clear um, that if you looked like a migrant, you weren't perceived as a human being. That was a lot of the. That was essentially what I got from that situation. There were a lot of times where um, I was also considered a prostitute because prostitution was also quite high amongst the female migrants that were there because that was only work available. So I got propositioned quite a few times. There was like high rates of sexual harassment. Um, it was a very difficult environment to be in.
The investigation goes into the Italian mafia. They've been made cash rich from drug trafficking and they've bought up land throughout the 1980s and 90s and taken control of the agricultural industry. It's no secret that organised crime now controls the farms, the transport, commercialisation and the fruit market. And it was when Ayo went undercover with some workers on a broccoli farm that she felt the heavy presence of the mafia and really feared for her life. Especially when we um, were looking into uh, monitoring the conditions of one of the farms, so the broccoli farm that was outlined in the piece. Um, that was something where I went undercover as a migrant. Um, and they it basically, I had a really good rapport with the migrants who were working on that particular farm and they essentially my cover story was oh she's a friend we don't want to leave her behind so can she just kind of just stay here and watch um while we work and the problem with that was that this farm was in the middle of nowhere um there was no signal uh and if i was caught um if they if they realized i was a journalist i wasn't there for the purposes i said i was it would have become very dangerous very quickly. So what happened? Was it just one day or was it a few days that you were no, there? It was, that, was, that was just one day. So I went one of the migrants there. Um, he introduced me to the farmer. But he kind of gave me a backstory. Um, and then I was just allowed to watch as they went about working and on very highly exploitative conditions. Um, so I kind of took notes um, of everything I saw, how much they were earning, how what the actual work entailed, obviously lack of health and safety standards. I was there for maybe like 10 hours. And it was really disturbing. And it, But the thing is about that entire experience is that it was obviously to them a very normal situation. It was heavily normalised um, in the eyes of the farmers and in the eyes of the workers, even though they knew this was a heavily explosive um, you know, condition. Can you just describe to me what it was like? It was really cold. So this was in December. So we went onto the farm around 6am. There was like a light coming through and there was just this frost covering all the broccoli. So when these migrants had to literally crouch down in some very flimsy gungaries that just weren't protective in the slightest... And they had these kind of small orange knives um, that were just very sharp. And it was just so easy to just cut your hand or just so easy to slice yourself. And they had to cut these, like, these shards off the broccoli repeatedly. But they had to do it at such a rapid pace to throw it into the crate that was attached to the tractor as it moved forward. Um, and you just saw the way that they had to just physically exert themselves just to just to meet the demands of the job I it's yeah I just remember how cold it was I just remember how difficult the work looked um how mm. straining it was how dangerous it was um because it they could have so easily have gotten hurt had the tractor accidentally been reversed or had one of them not being alert enough to the situation this went on for hours and hours yeah, there were no regard to their safety or their welfare. They weren't treated like they were human. Like, it was just a very mindless operation, but at a real human cost. Did they have any kind of interaction with the farmer? I think it was just very cold, if I could describe the relationship between yeah. them. 
I mean, if you're asking about whether they looked like they felt guilty about what was happening, I don't think that wasn't the impression I got. Did the mafia have any role in in that farm? I can't say because I I wasn't aware if that particular farm was affiliated, but just based on how much control the mafia have, um, you know, it's it's quite likely he did have some affiliations. So how can you explain to me how the mafia works in all of this? I can, well, that was more to Bias's roles, but from what I understood, for the farmers, um, any, any profit they got, a part of it was split to the mafia that owned. They basically had um, a sort of stake in every business um, within that region. So you can really open a business without giving a piece of your you know, um, income or your profit um, to the mafia in particular. The mafia also has a role in the supply chain. How does that work? I think it was a very similar um, situation where they owned a lot of these production companies. Whatever kind of profit was being made, they obviously took a particular fraction of that. And any kind of major deals that were facilitated had to go through them. I asked AO if anything has changed for the migrant workers. She says things get worse by the day. You know, you hoped that when you publish these findings that maybe there will be some sort of cultural backlash or an outcry and hopefully the conditions these migrants experience would be alleviated at some point. But I think because it's just, I mean, it's not even just about the mafia or the process of political asylum. You know, the Italian government also has a high level of responsibility in how they decided to treat these migrants and how they failed to protect them when it really mattered. Um, And I, I think as long as the government in Italy is under the same leadership as it is now, I don't think it's necessarily going to change. And I think also culturally, because there seems to be a lot of segregation between migrants and Italians in a lot of these areas, it's, I think it's really diff- difficult to reconcile. I think it's a very complex issue. But that being said, the situation itself is, you know, it's unpalatable. You can't have African migrants in slave labour conditions. Like, that's just not something anyone should stand for. Is there anything I've missed, any glaring thing that you want to tell me? Uh, don't buy tin tomatoes. Mm. <laughs> don't buy tin tomatoes, honestly. Mm. Um, I, I think, I just hope that, I mean, even from the findings of this piece, that more investigations like this will be undertaken by the people. Um, in in different areas around the world, because it's not even just Italy, it's not even just um, Italy or Spain. There's also Morocco as well, um, and we import a lot of our strawberries from Morocco and Britain. And I've heard there that women there get uh, have really horrendous working conditions. Um, I think I heard something about ten dollars a day is what they get paid. Gosh. Um, yeah, it is a, it's a very, it's a very grim subject. It's very grim. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. But it, I thought, it was just so pivotal now, especially because in Western society, we're the ones that are pushing the demand for these products to be available year, like year wise. Once you go into a project like that. You know, you build such a strong rapport with some of the sources that you meet and you just see the conditions firsthand. It's very hard to 
it's very hard to walk away from, like you said. It's very hard to just look away. But the thing is, even when I sent them the piece, I think they they were appreciative in some, but I think they were just more concerned about whether or not their conditions would be improved. They have very different expectations, I think. They want to either go home or they just want to be treated with the dignity they deserve. Um, and so far, that just hasn't happened yet. Tomorrow on The Detail, we'll look at the supply chain and why it's so difficult to track the tomatoes back to the fields they were grown in. We'll also hear from Newsroom's Nikki Mando about what happened when she tried to find out if cheap Italian tin tomatoes sold in New Zealand can be traced back to farms that use slave labour. And what exactly is modern slavery? That's The Detail today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The Detail's brought to you by newsroom.co.nz, made possible by the RNZ NZ On Air Innovation Fund. Hit the subscribe button to stay across the detail every day. And if you're on Apple, please leave a rating as it helps other listeners find us. This episode was engineered by Blair Stagpool and produced by Alexia Russell. Ka nui tēnei.